It is incredible to think that it was one year ago today that it seemed like the world shut down on us, and we walked into the COVID pandemic year that we've experienced. And there have been lots of challenges and lots of uh, changes and transformations that have gone in that year. And I wanted to pause briefly before we get into our message on and appreciate and hold up before you a group that has worked tirelessly behind the scenes and out in front of us all at the same time. And that's our shepherds, that's our elders, that's the group of men that lead this church. And we expect a lot out of these men. I have served many great uh, shepherds at this church through the years. And it's been an honor and a privilege. And I've watched these men over the years serve faithfully and tirelessly. And one thing you have to realize is that even though we expect the shepherds to be the encouraging ones, the elders to be the ones that offer the, the hope and the encouragement, shepherds need encouragement as well. And so we wanted to pause today just to show appreciation. And you may not even be aware of who our shepherds are because I know we've been in this cloistered and shelter in place um, for a year now, and it's been hard to get to know some people as it would. And so I'm going to share them with you, and then I'm going to pray over them, and then we'll have our sermon bumper, and then we'll get into the message. First of all, let me introduce you to, this is David and Donna Kelly, and uh, just great family here. Their, their daughter, Beth, and son-in-law, Alan, and their incredible kids are part of this church, as well as his son and daughter-in-law, Kyle and Angel, and we're grateful for them. Also is uh, Jake and Brenda Herndon, and they have some grown kids here as well. Uh, Case is a part of this church, their son, as well as their daughter, Shayla, and her husband, Logan, and they're very calm, placid kids, these grandkids they have. Also, would like you to know, in case you don't know, this is uh, uh, Craig and Melissa Prather, and uh, they have raised their kids here as well. Many of them have launched out to other things at this point. Their daughter, Julia, their youngest, is, is a part of our youth ministry here, and we're just so grateful for what, for what they do, as well as uh, Tim and Betty Weddle, and you may know um, Tim and Betty as part of our 456 ministry, and they have just launched their youngest uh, this past year in the midst of COVID off to Freed Hardman University uh, and are now experiencing the, the empty nest. And so, so what, a, what a blessing it is to serve these men. They have, they have faced what I would consider the greatest leadership challenge inside of church leadership that I've seen in my entire career. And and I've been so grateful to them. So we want to offer this up prayer, and I'm going to encourage you. I know many of you have been praying for them, but I want you to be praying for these guys because they have served, um, served faithfully, tirelessly, praying for you each step of the way. Many of you are aware that they've shown up and visited your house. They have um, brought gifts of, of blessing, uh, sometimes in the form of finances that are needed. Just countless things behind the scenes that we've been grateful for to see God at work through them. And they hold me up in prayer every time I get to preach. And I'm just so grateful for what they do to bless this church. So if you would, join me in prayer for them, and then we'll begin our message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for 
the men that have served and these four men that serve now as shepherds of this church, pastorally leading us, spiritually guiding us, making decisions and demonstrating and modeling the way forward. Father, I thank you for their energies over this past year because the challenges have been great and the anxieties have, have been many, Father, that for the, all the decisions they've made. And Father, I pray that you would continue to give them strength, continue to give them, them the energy and the wisdom and the discernment to continue to lead us forward as you call Western Hills into the future. Father, I know it feels like we're eager to be past this pandemic, to be past all these challenges. And so as what seems like light at the end of the tunnel right now, Father, would you give them the wisdom as we transition once again into something new, something that you've created for us and calling us to. Father, I pray for their marriages. I pray for their families. I pray for their kids, their grandkids and in all things, that you would pour out your blessings on them. And Father, we are grateful that you have brought these four here for such a time as this. Father, I ask all this in the name of Jesus, and ask that you continue to bless Western Hills as we be the church that you're calling us to be in the future. It's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. In my ministry, I have had a recurring conversation. And it happened many times when I was served as a youth minister, and I served as a youth minister here. And it's happened numerous times, even in my more adult ministry, as I've talked to anybody beyond the age of 18 all the way up to 75. And it usually comes a time when somebody's considering making Jesus Lord of their life, or making that proclamation that says, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And there's a part of the conversation, there's a line that I've heard repeated, and it doesn't matter, it, it, I mean, the person has changed numerous times in front of me, but the line still seems to come out the same. Right before they're willing to make the decision, somebody pulls back and says, but I've still got to get some parts of my life in order. I, I've got to get some things taken care of first. And somewhere along the way, we've got an idea that when God calls us to following him, that what we've got to do is we've got to show a track record that we're worthy of following him. Do you follow me? You understand? That we've got to show, we've got to put forth some good effort before God will then um, acquiesce to meet us halfway. This idea that I've got to clean up some life. Now, there may be parts of your life you need to clean up. But that what we've got to do is we've got to do that first because then I can get in line with the Jesus effort. And so as we've been in this series looking at the best gift ever, 
where we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus, by His own word, says, when I go away, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a counselor and an advocate, and they're going to be a help to you. And He says, it's going to be better for you when I go away. Well, I want to look at a specific part of Scripture this morning where we address that feeling that I've got to get myself in line before I follow Jesus. I've got to get myself all taken care of and squared away before I can engage a life that Jesus is calling me to. And so we've, been, we've launched out in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up there. We'll be in a few different places today, but John 14, or if you want to open up your app, and I hope maybe if you've got one of those uh, lesson guides as we go through, if you're in the room right now, feel free to go grab one out of our foyer, and you can follow along, because there may be some places that you're going to want to take some notes on this. But John 14, 15 and 16, is where Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples. And he's letting them know that he's going to be going away, and he makes this promise. And he gives this thing that you see right now on the screen. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now let's hold there just for a second. This is one of those verses that sounds like, well, Scott, all those conversations you had make sense. Because that is a pretty tall order, yes? If you love me, then keep my commands. Now, my ears hear it this way. If you love me, prove it. Anybody else hear it that way? If you love me, show it. If you love me, get on board and let's see what you've got. And so many of us, we hear it that way. And so we allow to fall prey to a lie from Satan that says, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I work real hard, I get my life together, and then I present it to see if it's acceptable to him, and then maybe I get to follow. But I'm going to show you what Jesus says in the very next verse. So again, I'm using the words of Jesus here. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. That's 14, or that's 15. Here's 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. If you love me, keep my commands. We're going to come back and talk about that in just a second. But it's not a solo project. It's not an all-up-to-you idea. What Jesus is saying, and he's tying these two ideas together, if you love me, keep my commands, and I'm going to ask my Heavenly Father to send you a gift. I'm going to ask my Heavenly Father to send you someone that's going to make a difference. And what's this someone going to do? It's going to advocate for you, and it's going to help you, and it's going to be with you forever. He repeats this idea in John 14, 26. But the advocate, and when you see that advocate, that counselor, that's always a reference to the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. What's he going to do? He's going to teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, isn't that good news if there was going to be a test? When you go into a test, you're prepping for it, and you're like, Oh, Lord, help me not to forget. And sometimes I would say that prayer like minutes before the test, and that was all of my preparation. And it was really 
putting the Lord in a spot because he was trying to remind me of things that I never took the time to learn in the first place. But what Jesus is saying here, he says, says, this isn't like you've got to cram for the test. He is saying that what's going to happen is I'm going to send another and he's got a very specific role to play. He's going to be helping you, reminding you, teaching you of all the things. That's it. The Father wants to help us in all things. God is on your side, and you may need to hear that message today. That may be the message that you need to understand today because you walked in here or you signed on online, and you've got a different idea about God. And what you think is God is the one that sits in wait to catch you messing up. What God wants to do is He wants to spring on you and scold you. And he just can't wait because he gets his delights. He's like some kind of twisted parent or twisted coach that watches when you mess up, he gets to go into action and he's got his speech ready. Don't you know I created you? Don't you know it took me something to speak you into existence? And just start letting you have it. But see, that's not what God wants. God wants to help you in all things, including obedience. God wants to help you in all things, including obedience. And so with that idea, with what Jesus is telling us today, that he's going to send someone, the advocate, to help us keep his commands, I want to give three takeaways from that idea that Jesus is doing. So if you want to write these down and you want to follow along, takeaway number one is this. The Spirit turns me from a rule follower to a command keeper. The Spirit turns me from a rule follower to a command keeper. And what's the difference, Scott? Well, there's a great difference between rules and commands. Rules are just kind of out there, right? But commands, they come from a specific source. Commands come from a commander. Okay? If you're in the military, or if you spend any time in the military, this is really clear to you. Because you know that commands, which are completely separate from the rules, but commands come down and they mean something because they're coming from a commander, from a place of authority, from a place, a respected point of authority. And so I started thinking about this. What's the difference between the rules and the commands? And so here's some ideas that you may want to jot these down as we go through them. First difference is rules are strictly designed to keep you in line. That's what a rule does. Rules are a structure and an order. They tell you where the boundaries are. Commands accomplish a mission. Do you see the difference? When you receive a command from a commander, it's a call to go accomplish a mission. Take the hill, move the forces, conduct the rescue. Whatever it is, it's a call to accomplish a mission. Rules don't call you to accomplish a mission. They just keep you in line. Second thing is, rules, at least in theory, they should apply to everyone. Sometimes we grab because it doesn't seem like the rules apply to everyone. But commands only apply to those that are following the one giving the commands. So, as followers of Jesus, when Jesus says, keep my commands, he's not saying keep my rules that everybody should keep. He's giving us a very specific set. He says, I'm giving you the ones that hold up my name, some commands. And we're going to accomplish a mission 
through these. The next thing is rules tell you what not to do. You notice that most rules can be followed if you were just passive. You know, don't chew gum. Don't speed. Don't cross the street without permission. Don't, 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 don't. And if you were just passive, you could probably fulfill most rules. Whereas a command is always a call to action. It's a call with a result. Last one's this. Oh, I'm sorry, last two. Uh, rules t- cause me to focus on the limits. Don't go beyond the boundary. Don't cross the street. Stay safe while a, com- while a command is always a call beyond your limits. We're going to go to a place where it's risky and dangerous, and that's the command. That's the call that Jesus invites to us. Not to play it safe inside the boundaries, but to go outside of what we think is safe and cautious. And then the last one is, rules lead to a compliant existence, while commands lead to a compelling life. So Jesus says, keep my commands, not follow my rules. And there's a real difference in there. Because so many of us, we come and we have that conversation when we're thinking about giving our lives to Jesus and being um, baptized in the waters and to come up proclaiming His name, that what we think is after that moment, after, after that moment which we can come to and say, by grace I'm saved, by His grace I'm saved, we then think as we emerge out of the water, and I've seen this time and time again, that now what I've got to do, I'm saved by His grace, but everything else from here on out, I've got to follow the rules by my own grit, by my own effort. That somehow, when I get onto my program now, I can make myself perfect. I can create holiness in my own life by my own power, by my own effort. Once again, saved by grace, but I'm going to live by grit. I'm going to do that under my own might. And Paul addresses this in Galatians chapter 3. In the NIV, it says it this way. It says, Are you so foolish after beginning by means of spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? See what he's saying? You started by the power of the spirit. You started this life in Jesus by the power of the spirit. But now you're trying to finish by means of the flesh, by your own Effort. Well, here, I love the way the uh, New Living Translation says it. Here's the same verse. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Why would you make that exchange? Jesus says, I've sent the Holy Spirit to help you in this. We don't live by our own effort. We live by the power of the Spirit. If we've come to faith and believed and accepted the death of Jesus, then we need to accept the life of Jesus. And if we want to keep commands of Jesus by living in tune with Jesus, not by following some rules, but our life becomes more and more and more and more in tune with Jesus. How does that happen? Take away number two. It happens this way. The Spirit helps me to live from the inside out. The Spirit helps me to live from the inside out. Jesus did not come to give us religion, and He certainly didn't come to give us a behavior modification program. 
And so many of us think that's what he came to show up, he showed up to do. That what Jesus wants is he wants me to transform all of my exterior. He wants me to get in the right behavior, the right actions, the right habits. That's his highest goal. Jesus did not come to simply change your behavior. He came to transform your life and your heart. See, Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came so that dead people can live. And that is a radical transformation, and you do not pull that off by your effort. Now, you can improve yourself slightly, but that's not transformation. That's tweaking. That's, that's slight improvement. And what Jesus is bringing is transformation, and He's given us the power of the Spirit to do it. Ephesians 3.16, if you want to write this verse down. I pray that out of this glorious riches, He may strengthen you with the power through His Spirit in your inner being. You, you see how many times the New Testament teaches us to look back at the Spirit. I pray that out of His glorious riches that He may strengthen you with the power Where's the power come from? Through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. And so what the Holy Spirit's going to do from this inside-out life, He will increase your hunger for God's Word. He'll, He'll increase your desire to be in a fellowship of believers surrounded by other people that, that hold you up and encourage you and pray for you. And if we've missed anything over the past year, it's that, isn't it? So many of you, as you come back, as you come back on the campus when you feel okay, I hear the recurring phrase of, of it just feels good to be here, or I've needed to be here. Where does that hunger come from? It comes from the Spirit. And want to be surrounded by others. He's going to give you a sense of mission. The ability to serve others well beyond your ability to serve others. He's going to give us the ability to focus on the things of Him and focus on things of God and an incredible ability to fight temptations. The Spirit creates transformation, but it doesn't begin with our behavior. Jesus didn't come along and simply say, Stop it, don't do this. He sent the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. And when we're transformed from the inside out, you can see it. It does have an exterior effect. I'm not simply describing something that's, that's fuzzy and vague on the inside. Because... When the Spirit is alive in our life and is at work, the transformation begins. And no longer do the rules become some kind of checklist of are you following God or not. But something else takes the place, and many of you have heard this, and this has been a, probably a Bible verse of yours growing up. And even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this one. It's often referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. It's Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Just put in there, no rules. There's no rules against that. And there's the marks of a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-powered life. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, 
what I love about that list is there's not a one of those that you can increase in your own life by gritting your teeth and trying harder. It doesn't work that way. It just looks funny. You don't go, joy! Mm. That'll probably turn into a meme somewhere on the internet now, I know. You don't, you don't force yourself into these things. They come as a part of what the work of the Spirit is doing in your life. And this power is changing us from the inside out. And against these things, there's no law. And even if you don't buy into that yourself, you'd love to live in a world where everybody else exemplified that, wouldn't you? If We don't need better communication most of the time. Imagine a political system that had the marks of the fruit of the Spirit in it. Wouldn't you want to live that in that country? Because this is what is powered by God. Takeaway number three. The Spirit helps me to love like Jesus. Remember what Jesus says. My command is this. Now we're getting back. He says, keep my commands. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. There's the command. All of Jesus' commands. If you look through all the Gospels and all of Scripture, all of Jesus' commands always point towards loving others. It is the relentless call of Christ to love others. And that was Jesus' heart. That's the heart of the Father, and that's what He calls us to do. My command is this, to love each other, and it is only by the power of the Spirit does that become possible. See, I think we get caught up in this idea of, of, you know, I'm not sure if there's miraculous evidences of the Holy Spirit anymore. And that's a fine conversation. We can have that. But I want to suggest to you that the greatest miracle that the Holy Spirit still performs today is the supernatural ability for me and for you to love those that get on our nerves. We're not describing something just be nice to somebody. We're describing that God can create a situation in your heart, in your life, where you love your enemies. That is the highest calling that I'm aware of in Scripture that you would actually express love, and that would be a mark of your life being controlled by the Spirit. And it's not simply that you go out and do it on your own. He doesn't say, keep this command, good luck. He says, keep this command, and I'm sending you one to help. I'm sending you an advocate to power this in your life. And the Holy Spirit comes in, and we have a supernatural power this is why in John chapter 15, 8, just a couple of um, verses over, it says, this, uh, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The mark of being disciples is that we're going to bear this fruit, and there's going to be a visible outward appearance of what's going on with the power and the supernatural work of the Spirit inside of our lives, and we will bear fruit, and it will come out it will manifest itself in some version of love. And we know this is true when we see it, right? 
we know this is true when we see things like uh, um, Brant John, whose brother was Bothamjean, who was the one that was tragically killed by Amber Geiger, the Dallas police officer. And at that trial, that image, if you all remember, when, when Brant gets to stand up and do a victim impact statement based on, on behalf of his brother that was killed, he looks at Amber Geiger in that courtroom and forgives her and then says, can I give you a hug? And across racial lines and across hatred and across what should be enemies of each other, the Holy Spirit broke out. And we look at that and we go, how is that possible? That's, here's our word, supernatural. And you're absolutely right. We look at it and we say, that's miraculous. Yes, it is. The miraculous works of the Holy Spirit did not cease. We don't always pay attention to it. But the fact that it can transform a heart to love an enemy is beyond human effort. I also think about it with Corey Ten Boom, who endured the Nazi um, concentration camp of Ravensbrück. She watched her sister die in that camp. After the end of the war and emancipation, she began to speak and teach, and she wrote. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place, an account. One time, in 1947, she was speaking in a church, and she was in war-torn Germany, still trying to rebuild from all that had occurred inside of its borders. And she's speaking about the forgiveness of God and what Jesus has to offer. And when she concludes the message, as everybody's starting to dismiss and break up, she looks in a man that she describes in a brown overcoat is making her way towards her. The first instant she sees him in a brown overcoat, the very next image in her mind, she sees this man wearing the Nazi uniform and realizes by looking in his face, he was a guard at Ravensbrook. And she talked about all that went through her mind. She remembers seeing her sister die in front of her. She remembers the the whip and the crop that, that slung from his belt. She remembers the skull and crossbones that was on his uniform. And she tensed up, and she just delivered a message on forgiveness, and she began to ask herself, what will I do now? The guard made his way up to her, and he introduced himself to her. He said, I'm so grateful for your message on forgiveness, and it's hard to believe that God can forgive and wash away all of our sins, but I believe it now. He says, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, but now I'm a Christian. Now I've given my life to Jesus, and I know that Jesus has forgiven me, and I know that God's done a new work in me, but I would so appreciate it if I could hear from you that you would forgive me. Corrie Boom is taken back, and she doesn't know how to respond. And for a split second, she's silent. And then she awkwardly said she offered her hand forward. Still not knowing what was next going to come out of her mouth, but she said in a moment when she grasped the gentleman's hand, she clasped it with her other one. And she says she could actually feel what was like a current coming down her arm 
to their connected hands, and she began to glow, not with hatred, not with despise, not with regret, but with joy. And she says she was warmed all over, and she began to cry, and yes, I forgive you too. Yes, I forgive you too. And now guard and prisoner are embracing together. That doesn't come naturally. That comes because when Jesus went away, he said, I will send another. And this will be a helper to keep all of my commands, and by this help, by this supernatural, miraculous power, you will bear fruit in your life. And it will manifest itself in many different versions of love. So the question I'll leave you with this is, do you want to be a Christmas tree or a fruit tree? It's a funny question, isn't it? Every year, I love to take pictures of our Christmas tree. And, and for many years, we would go out and we'd spend hours and hours and hours at Lowe's or Home Depot or something shopping for the perfect Christmas tree. And then we discovered artificial trees. And our marriage got better. <laughs> Every year, we would decorate it and we'd bring it in and we put all the lights and everything on it, and it's just incredible. And it just glows and just had this warm feeling. At the same time, what you may not know about my wife Erica is that she's got quite the green thumb, and so she has for many years now um, cultivated citrus trees in our backyard. And she, she has had them even able to help them survive through the ice storm that we had most recently. And every year, they produce these gorgeous lemons and oranges and blood oranges and limes and just a variety of citrus fruits from all these different kinds of trees that she has. And just very impressive harvest every year. The Christmas tree is either dead on arrival or fake. That's your two options with the Christmas tree. If you got something else going on, let me know about it. The fruit trees. Every year. We don't decorate them up the same way. We don't drag them into the house and put them in the middle of the room the same way. But year after year after year, they produce fruit. Will we focus on the outside? Will you focus on the outside? And try to keep pursuing a life that's either dead on arrival or artificial at best. Or allow the Spirit to do a work in you. Blessing you, empowering you, leading you to obey. And not just the rules, but obey the command to love one another. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the advocate, for the helper, for the one that works miraculous in our lives. As we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, as we submit to him in baptism, that we are now powered completely new, not by my effort, not by my habits, but by your Spirit. So, Father, I pray for all those that are still struggling to understand 
this message that life in you is not a life by my own effort, but a life powered by you. That in all things, including my obedience, you help. That you can lead us into love that is supernatural. And in our life, you can manifest joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the fruit that the Spirit has to offer. Father, may we be a church. May we be a church that manifests the Spirit in that way. That if you say anything about the Western Hills Church, at least we say, what a church of joy. What a people of kindness. What a place that they were patient with me when I needed them to be patient. Father, may that be true of us. Not by our effort, not because we launched some program, but because your Spirit is filling us in all things. Changing us from the inside out. Father, I pray that you would fill us so there's room for nothing else but Jesus. So it's in his name that I pray. It's in his name that I give the glory and say thank you that he sent the Spirit to us. Amen.